in three, two, one. Feeling overwhelmed? Need a little help? When it comes to mental health in the workplace, people are still reluctant to divulge their issues. On a recent survey, 68% of business professionals worried that reaching out about a mental health issue could negatively impact their job security. Although 50% of employees and 60% of millennial employees reported having had a mental health lapse, only one third of those employees reached out to their employers. In this episode, mental health author, TED Talk speaker, and advocate Michelle Dickinson share some insights on how businesses can remove the stigma and shame that comes from invisible disabilities. Join me now for my conversation with Michelle. Well, hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you, and thank you for taking time to chat about some of the sensitive issues that the subject of mental health brings up in the workplace and how it impacts all of us. And our focus in this episode is to talk about what individuals and business leaders can do to increase awareness and decrease the stigma and shame that's associated with mental illness. So at the very least, we want to be able to develop protection strategies for ourselves and our loved ones. So again, welcome to the program, and and thanks for sharing some time with us on the subject. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. And thank you for wanting to talk about this. It's not always so comfortable to talk about mental health. So thank you. Right. Well, and it's interesting because most have experienced it right now. And you came on the subject. So you came out of you know school or you're, you're starting your career. What led you to, hey, I think I'm going to pick this topic of mental illness and I want to get involved. And I know from you know, you know reading some of your, your personal story in your book, you talk a little bit about that. Why don't you share with our audience you know, from your book, Breaking Into My sure. Life, how that maybe evolved for you? Sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah. You know, I was minding my own business in a corporate job thinking, you know, I, I'm never really going to talk about something that I lived with as a child. I grew up with a mother who had bipolar disorder. It wasn't anything that I really thought was significant enough to talk about, but a colleague of mine in my former Fortune 500 company heard my story over lunch and nominated me to give a TED talk. And that was pretty much a life-changing uh, moment for me. Oh, absolutely. I was had no, had no business in the mental health space. I was in regulatory quality at my former company. Could it be further away? But when I stood on that stage and told my story and heard the reaction from people in the organization coming up to me, talking to me, found a sense of relatedness to me, whether or not they had suffered or had a loved one that suffered. It just really got me connected to the power of storytelling and the difference that I might be able to make. I spoke more about this and right. shared it. And that gave me the courage and the confidence to go on and write my memoir, Breaking Into My Life. Because if I could have an impact in a 10-minute TED Talk, what could I do if I wrote a memoir? So when I sat down to write the book, my goal was let's humanize mental health. Let's right. talk about it. Let's have people understand it's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So that started everything. I started to do some public speaking about mental health. I got really connected to wanting to do more in the space and then um, had the opportunity to leave my organization in a corporate restructuring. And I had a choice. I, it was sort of a crossroads. It was like, do I go into another company, finish out my career, or do I take a leap of faith and go and do this work, something I had found I had gotten very passionate about. And so that's when I started my company, uh, Trifecta Mental Health, and that's exactly what I do now. Well, it's we're so happy that you chose that path instead of staying in the corporate. I know you spent two decades in pharma and yeah. working it, but you know, 
can spend another two decades and then they spit you back out whenever it suits them. So you obviously found your path. Talk about the trifecta. We know what trifecta means. What, what are yeah. the three elements of your trifecta of um, strategy or philosophy? You know, it's, it's so interesting because when I was trying to figure out a name for my company, I was like, well, how do I convey that I'm unique? And the reason why I named it trifecta was because, you know, there's a lot of people that talk about mental health and they have a, a very uh, singular uh, experience with mental health, whether it's they suffered or they, they cared for someone. I sort of got all three. <laughs> I grew up with my mother who was bipolar. So I know how complicated and challenging it can be to love someone with a mental illness. And right. then a few years ago, I wound up dealing with depression, going through a divorce for the first time ever. I'm like right. struggling. So uh, I had that lens. So those are the two lenses. And then third, uh, when I was at my last company, my Fortune uh, 500 company, I helped to build the mental health employee resource group. And I watched what worked and what didn't work in the workplace when it comes to shifting cultures around mental health sure. awareness compassion. How was that? So you grew up with a mother that had bipolar and there's a, that's a spectrum, right? So yeah. you're up one day in tears the next. We probably have all experienced people who've had that or episodes of that or like a manic depression as far as that goes. And everyone experiences it without knowing. So you're now in it, you're aware, you have awareness. And then when, as you went through the divorce and, you know, and thanks for sharing personal details, but what was that like for you from a depression point of view? And then how did you self-medicate, if you will, to pull yourself out of that? situation? You know, fortunately, because when you grow up with a mother who had been in and out of hospitals, gone in and out to different doctors, had different types of treatment, you become very comfortable with the idea of care. So right. fortunately for me, I found myself unable to get out of bed in the morning, unable to be excited about the things that I love. And I knew I'm like, this is not normal. I have got to reach out for support. And so I found an amazing therapist and got myself into therapy. Most people's reluctant um, to discuss mental illness and it's prevalent today. It's like one in five people or adults experience some form of mental illness every year, you know, according to the APA. And you're on a mission to eradicate that mental health stigma. So yeah. why does mental health still carry a stigma in Western culture? And the stigma can suggest that you can, and I think you teach this, that it can be eliminated through education, compassion, and trust, right? Yes, so why yes. do we have the stigma? And then how do those treatments apply to that? Yeah, so let me first off give you a, a really sobering statistic to add to the one you just shared. It's said that one in three Americans are either dealing with depression or anxiety coming out of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. One in three. Like one in three. Or it was one in five in their lifetime would experience some type of imbalance. But now we know this pandemic has Im impacted us so significantly in our right. emotional well-being. So we have to really get the prevalence of it. I think that the reason why we still have stigma is just ignorance right? It's the unknown. It's understanding mental illness from the lens of maybe the media, the shame associated with mental illness that even not acknowledging if you're struggling or looking away if someone you love is struggling because you just don't know what to do with it. So I think that there's just such a great opportunity to turn up the volume around the conversation and educate, right? It, it, there's so much power in education and right. really having people understand well, what is depression? What is bipolar disorder? What is schizophrenia? If you can understand what it is, then maybe there won't be fear or shame around that and you will have no problem maybe going first and talking about it maybe celebrating a celebrity who's come out and talked about it and really showing your voice and your support of that kind of leadership well and it does take courage to do that i you know i remember when the pandemic first hit i have to say i cried for a week you know as a speaker everything canceled and it it's like oh man how am i what am i going to do here i've been doing this for 30 years and then the stock market of course took a nice little dive so all of those fears and anxieties 
anxiety. And of course, what's this pandemic going to do? And I'm of an age where it's a little older. Now we got to isolate. We got to go through this process. So I definitely got to experience anxiety. And it's been a long time since I've even had that feeling, probably since my 20s. Cried for a week. And then it was like, all right, I can keep doing this or, you know, time to move on and get hold. And I've always found for me, getting a work project and distracting myself, if you will, and just diving in has been my best friend whenever those moments come in. So what I do is I just focus, what do I got to get done? And then I dive in and I work harder than I've ever worked. And I kind of work myself out of the slump and Mm. out of that thing. Is that a thing? Is that one of your remedies? It's so interesting when, you know, in my resilience program that I teach, um, you know, I, I teach workshops around it, but I also coach one-on-one. The first thing I'm, I'm always saying to people is know what your toolbox is. Right. First of all, you got to get present to how you're doing in order to know that you need to tap into that toolbox. Right. right. Um, and so what works for you isn't going to work for me. So if you know, uh, you know, I'm feeling a little blue today. I know if I get outside and go for a walk in the park for like a half an hour at lunchtime, that's going to help me. And I need to make it a priority for me. I went to a therapist and I was like, just give me a medication. Just give me some antidepressants. <laughs> like, yeah. He's yeah. like, no, he was great. He was so conservative. Yeah. Martinez will do that grateful. for me. Yeah. <laughs> but he said, no, I really don't want to prescribe. I want you to feel your way through it. And, wow. and yeah. I want you to find a healthy vice. So my cousin challenged me to do a triathlon and that became, that became my project like yours, right. yeah. where I was focusing on exercise. And well, if I'm going to, if I want to, peak perform, I have to make sure I'm giving myself good nutrients. So then all of it became a game. And let me see how good I can look, because if I look good, then I'm going to feel good. Right. So I turned that like depression into, I'm going to throw myself in the training of this triathlon and nail it. And, and that's what I did. Oh, that's awesome. No, it's, it makes sense. I know there are short fixes. I was re- just reading recently, and I can't remember the two terms. I know he- hedonic is one of our hedonistic or whatever, where we, we can find relief through pleasure. And it might be a short term, but it might be a piece of chocolate. Could be right. going for a walk, something that we enjoy. And then yeah. from a longer term perspective, it's finding a purpose, finding something that's right. a mission that we can sink our teeth into, right? This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we will also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. Now for the rest of my conversation with Michelle Dickinson. We all have mental health issues from time to time, it seems. Um, yeah. You know, I've experienced things myself where I felt, you know, sad. I've never been down and out for days and days. And some people I know can't get out of bed. And right. I, I can't relate to that, you know, that, that and I, I feel bad for them. But why does it still carry that stigma in our culture? So what's interesting is if you tell people, you know, I, I'm on a men's softball league and, you know, we, we're often falling down and hurting ourselves. We twist ankles. We you know I broke ribs last season, tripping over a base. We pull a hamstring. We put, and when we come back and talk about it and have a cold one with the team, we're wearing yeah. it. We're wear, we wear our injuries like a badge of honor. Oh yeah, I have this, but I still played and I played the whole season. Right. And yet 
And so it's when a physical condition occurs, breaking an ankle or breaking an arm, no one has a beef about that. It's like, oh man, that happened to me once, or this happened to me one time too. And we talk about it, but again, we wear them as badges of honor. And yet when we talk about mental health issues, it's just a mental condition. It's the internal, something else is going on. Why can't we treat it the same way as a physical impairment or injury? It's uncomfortable. I think it's just because our society has the brain not be another organ, right? Like really, when you distill it down, the brain is just another organ organ in our body, but yet there's such, there's so much stuff around talking about it. The way I position it, because if you say anything, mental health or mental well-being or mental, whatever, using the word mental seems to be a charge. So I call it emotional well-being because that's really what it is. It's our emotional well-being. Why are we not not talking about it? We're so label ridden in our society to believe that someone has a mental illness. Let me tell you, it's a continuum. And some days that we're gliding across the continuum, we're up and some days we're down. So if we can just start to acknowledge that we all have mental health as part of our DNA, then we can you know, step away from hesitant to talk about it. Right. I think that is, is truly the reason why is people are just not comfortable talking about the brain. You have to push through that and people need to have the courage to go first and lead the way. And right. once, once we start to do more of that, we'll, we'll start to chew away at the stigma. Well, I think even as leaders, we don't really want to talk about it and say, hey, guys, hey, company, I'm leading you. But by the way, I was in the hospital for a week with this issue or I had this and we use derogatory terms or they're being mental. You know, we've we've all said things like that, I'm sure. I I mean, I know I have without being sensitive to it. And because we don't experience it, it's hard to be empathetic to it. Like I'm not naturally empathetic. You know, my wife's very, she's an empath all the way through. Tell her something sad. She's with you 100%. Um, For me, unless I've experienced it, it doesn't resonate for me. I, I know what to say, I know how to make you feel better about it, but I'm really not getting it, right? Until I get it. I saw one survey and it said that this is how it affects us at work. 61% of workers said their productivity was affected by their mental health and 37% said their work environment contributed to their symptoms. Does that sound about right in your experience? It does. And it's so interesting that you raised that because I just did last week, I did a series on my uh, mental health platform, Michelle's Conversations That Matter, talking about psychological safety in the workplace with a bullying expert. Unfortunately, bullying still exists and bullying is a very big factor that can compromise psychological safety. So absolutely, you know, absolutely. You have to look at all of the, the facets of what makes psychological safety in the workplace. And that has to do a lot with leadership. It has a lot to do with power struggles amongst employees. All of that can impact our mental health and, and actually you know, create a, a mental drag for someone who's affected by that. Sure. Well, on the, you know, the same study goes on to even say that a majority of the employees, 68% worry that reaching out to management or leadership or yeah. HR about the issue could negatively impact impact their whole job security and that that can create a problem, even though that, you know, almost 60% of millennial employees experience something and, you know, 50% for the rest of the generations have, you know, health issues. And so it really does have to become a topic of uh, conversation within organizations. Yeah. So in that vein, how can business leaders or what can business leaders do or owners of companies or individuals to normalize the conversation around mental health and humanize that issue? Yeah. yeah, it's it's very interesting. In the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I was asked to deliver resilience to employees and that was great. I had I had the tools and the structures to do that. But then three quarters of the way through the pandemic, they were like, we need something for our people leaders because there's such trepidation around people leaders engaging in a conversation around well-being. They've never had to do that before. 
right? Like, right. so now the pandemic has opened things up, right? 42% right. of the global workforce impacted yeah. negatively their emotional well. So leaders actually have such a pivotal role. Like they they need to first get present to their own biases around. We can go right down the DNI path. They got to get present to their own relationship to mental health. Right. right? Only only then can they lead from a from a lens of compassion and empathy. And have no issue engaging in a conversation if they notice behaviors are shifting in certain individuals. We live in such a litigious world where people are so afraid to have that conversation. So they step over it or they manage it from performance when in reality, they probably all they needed to do is just extend their heart. You know, compassionate leadership can go so far. Right. Exactly. you know, the other things I teach leaders in my leader program, how are you modeling good mental health hygiene at work? Mm. How are you showing up for your team? Are you the guy who's sending the email at night and, and setting some unspoken norms where people feel stressed that they have to respond? Or are you the guy who's like, I'm out for an hour. I got to hit the track. I got to run for an hour and come back. It's going to help my my mindset. And, and talk about what you're doing for mental health. Those are some really important things that leaders can do. Uh, that makes sense. And I, I think having it, you know, part of the conversation and, and lots of policies and attitudes and people's personal perspectives goes to creating some of this anxiety. We're seeing it socially now over the holidays. I decided I was going to learn all the pronouns and how those all work because I was, you know, older school. And yeah. to, to me, I thought, I need to learn this. And uh, thank goodness my daughters were happy to inform me, you know, so I could be brought up. But it's an evolutionary process. And then it's learn how to correctly identify it. So now I've actually met individuals and I'll talk to them and I'll say to them, you know, oh, what preferred um, pronoun do you like to go by or however talk and, and shows the respect and yeah. openness, but I've had to learn it and then go practice it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how many of these kind of policies have it? Cause people are, if they're all part of the LGBTQ community and they're in the workplace, if they're in say in a conservative organization work, there might be labels or perspectives that aren't in alignment with that. And people have judgments about that. It would seem to me create a lot of anxiety because you have people committing suicide, you know, people scared to come out even within their own family. Uh, we're seeing it now in Florida, you know, with the school system, they're passing legislation wherever you fall on it you know aside of the equation there these are issues but they create stress and anxiety for the person yeah. who actually lives that on a day-to-day basis absolutely and and you know one of the things that uh, organizations can do when it comes to really creating true inclusion all right we're, we're, we're moving in really shining a light on the need for more inclusion this right. includes people who have navigated you know emotional well-being challenges have had mental health diagnosis, like you want them to be able to feel comfortable to bring their authentic selves to work at the end of the day. So what do you need to do to create that space is you got to have policies in place that say, you know what, we are a stigma free environment here. And with that, we're going to be doing the following things. So if you're a small organization, an ERG might not be something that you can do that you do do, but there are things you can do. And you can celebrate May mental health awareness month, you can turn up the volume around your resources that you provide. Sometimes people don't even know what's available. And you can just start to make it a normal conversation. One of the things that I think leaders underestimate is the power of going first. You have a senior level executive in your organization who has successfully navigated anxiety. Wow. Imagine what that could do if they, if they actually told their story, right? right? You'd be like looking up to that guy and going, Oh my God, but he puts his pant legs on his pants on one pant leg at a time. And he navigated this. So if he can get through this, well, Oh my goodness, I can too. Right. Well, it sets the stage and we're, and we're starting to see leaders take the courage that you've got, 
you know, governors of Colorado come out. You've got, you know, Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of the Transportation, I think, and Infrastructure. You've got celebrities that are coming out. You've got people being who they are and saying who they are. It's all of those things impact people's perceptions of us as individuals, which then leads to an environment that could be toxic in its nature or supportive in its nature, or it can be condemning and make us feel bad, which is where we see some of those problems. But going first subliminally gives us permission to talk about it. Right. Like if a leader goes first and says, I had crippling anxiety and I learned ways to navigate it and I'm okay now, but yet I still constantly am working on it. Well, that gives me permission, you know, five ranks down to be like, you hear what, like, wow, like, oh my goodness. It made me realize every one of us can be affected by this and it's okay. Well, as the leader goes, so goes the organization. So yeah, going first, that's great advice. Um, There's advantages to bringing this into the culture too. There's a hidden cost to mental health. People take sick days when they're really not sick, but they might be or they're not present at the work. I think you call it uh, not present absenteeism that can have a significant impact on productivity and the bottom line. Are there numbers around that? Are there stats around that as far as cultures that encourage and have good health or, you know, brain wellness programs that, you know, how it's impacted their businesses? Yeah, it it is all about presenteeism and engagement, right? When you have employees that are engaged, you have teams working toward common goals versus you have an employee who's struggling, trying to conceal a secret, deal with what they're dealing with at home instead of trying to get the support they need to show up to the best of their ability. Um, When we talk about these things, organizations can make accommodations to keep the employee engaged and supported. And all that's going to do is breed loyalty and keep employees working and moving your organization forward. So I say it all the time. It's just good business. You know, you want to do, you want to say it's, it's just good to do for humanity. It's the right, right. thing to do. So honestly, it affects the bottom line. If you're not looking at it, your employees are either lying about uh, being sick, like you mentioned, or they're going to go out on disability, or even worse, you're going to manage them for performance and ultimately uh, separate from the organization. And then you got to deal with turnover to replace them. So why not support them in a way where they... Yeah, where you get to keep your talent. And, you know, people remember how they were treated during the pandemic and after. They're going to remember. I am so fortunate to have been delivering the resilience program and the feedback I get after every single program is, oh my God, my company thought enough to give me a little bit of extra support and tools to navigate an unprecedented pandemic. Like just do the right thing. It's going to help you. It's going to serve you and your bottom line. No, that makes sense. And when people can, you know, talk about the issues and create an environment where they can talk about the issues and and they feel safe in that environment, it's, you've got a healthy organization. I ask CEOs all the time, what's the most important asset of your organization, your company? They always people. And I would yeah. say, well, let me see. I, you know, I looked at your financials and I don't see people on there anywhere. I see all your other assets, but I don't see people listed as line item or the intellectual capital or the, you know, the emotional well-being of your people. But we know what a difference it makes, for instance, with sports team. We yeah. know if everybody's on the same page and emotions, you know, we watch it with, you know, in championship play, you know, whatever sport you're watching. When, when it comes to the individual, there's such a spectrum of when it comes to mental illness and type, but how can we self-assess or mm-hmm. is there a way, like you recognize for yourself when you were going through, you know, bouts of depression, you're going through divorce, that was a life event. Doesn't yeah. happen every day. You know, it can be whether you, you know, the relationship was over, something you cared about, you're grieving, right? You're going through this process and obviously it's it can be fearful. How can we self-assess? Are there symptoms that we can be looking for? For instance, like feeling overwhelmed and think, 
what, what can we be looking for to go, hey, I, I might have this turning to creep in. I should pay attention to it because there are degrees of it, of course. Right. Yeah, there, there are so many things. But the first and foremost, the thing that I always teach is you have to get present to how you're doing every single day. We have a tendency to wake up in the morning and rush into our day. Right. The body part that maybe we worked out at the gym cries out for attention, but we're not pausing and checking in with our emotional well-being. How am I feeling today? How am I doing today? Because if you can get a hold of it when it's little, you could do something about it before it becomes hairier and bigger and uglier to deal with. So I'm always saying you got to do the self-check-in, become more aware of how you're feeling every single day and build your toolbox of things that you need to do to feel good because we can't ignore our emotional well-being. We can't ignore compounded stress over a period of time and think we're going to go resolve it by hitting a spa day and thinking that that's going to just you know fix everything. We actually have to be tending the garden of our minds every day mm, good by, analogy. Mm-hmm. by doing something for ourselves yep. and getting present to how we're really feeling and not ignoring it. Well, getting present, and that's always been a challenge because there's you, the day-to-day, you're looking at all the tasks you have to do, and we get so focused on tasks. You know, I've learned through COVID because, you know, you're going through all the experience. I thought, okay, I've got to change things up a little bit. And yeah. first thing in the morning, while well, I'm, you know, I start making the coffee, but I, I read from the daily Stoics and I, I try and read some philosophy that's been around for 2000 years on things to pay attention to and what not to pay attention to. So I start off with something very positive and the first hour of my day or 30 minutes, whatever time you have, 15 minutes, you know, if you put the news on, you're going to get depressed real quick yes. and it's pretty yeah. negative. Now I, I want to know what's going on, but I'll read the headlines. But, you know, I always chuckle around the major holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving when the anchors are all off having vacation time with their family, it's like nothing happens. Like there's no news. And I'm, so I started adopting that and I found it goes to my mindset. So I start my day off right in the first place. And I mean, coffee does help, you know, can't beat that, but (laughs) I, I try and fill that day with the ritual and I, I choose the day as I don't know I have tomorrow, but I do know I have today and I've been given today. So I'm going to make it the best day possible. So I'm going to start it off on a positive note. I'm going to be decide I want to be a happy person today. I'm going to be cheerful today. I don't always feel that way. I get annoyed. I get aggravated. I get frustrated. Uh, just like everyone else does. I get bummed out. You know, something doesn't go the right way. All those emotions show up, but I, you know, go back to my friends, which are the philosophers and look and mindfulness and you talked about that so what is the role of mindfulness or science-backed meditation how does that fit into our prevention or our care and how how can we apply it yes okay so two things the one thing i want to say is we have to protect our minds it's up to us to protect what we're letting our minds consume so if Mm. you go in autopilot you turn the news on or you sit mindlessly scrolling on your social media for hours you're allowing your mind to consume information. So we have to be the gatekeepers of what we're allowing our minds to Mm, consume. mm -hmm. And that's so important. I I love what you said before about, you know, what you choose to do the first few, you know, moments when you wake up, it sets the, it sets the tone for the day. And that's such an important thing to do. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there was a lot of conversation around loneliness. When we were in quarantine, a lot of us could not connect with people we loved, our family, our friends. So it got me really thinking, how do I help people who are struggling with loneliness? 
you know, loneliness is really the first thing that we need to do when we're struggling with loneliness is connect to ourselves, connect to our higher selves. And the way you do that, the best way to do that is to connect to your subconscious through meditation Mm -hmm. and trying to clear your head of the noise. I use the analogy of meditation is like a wet washcloth. You're wringing out. And when you're wringing out all of the, the moisture, you're getting rid, like all of those thoughts are slowly going away and you're left with a clear towel and laser focus. So I always go back to the benefit. People go, why do you got to do that? Why meditate? I go, because you know what? You're going to come back much more intentional and much more focused, and you're probably going to be more effective. I always had a problem with meditation. To me, it was like, you know, the dog's wagging its tail. And sure. in meditation, you're holding onto the tail and you hold it still and you're focused on holding that still. But yeah. as soon as you let go of it, it starts wagging again because that's what dog tail do. Yeah. And so I thought, how do we, when we're meditating, the chaos stops. And so for yeah. me, what was very helpful in doing it, because I had a really hard time getting into the actual, and we're not talking hours and hours, I'm talking 15 mm-hmm. minutes, right. is guided meditations. Yeah. And so I use guided ones. And too. often what I'll do is I'm, you know, I'll wake up at, you know, I get to bed pretty early, but I wake up in the middle of the night and my brain starts going, I call it monkey brain. And I've started counting backwards from 10,000 and I get to like 9,992 and all of a sudden it's, oh, look, a bunny. And yeah. I, I'm distracted again. So I found by listening to a guided meditation, it actually relaxes me. You get the breathing going because you're you're following directions, right? Yeah. And so yeah. there's there are some good tools in the toolbox in order to settle you down a little bit and then really operate from a place of gratitude and going, yeah. hey, let's do an inventory. When we look around the world, we think we have problems, right? right? And we and they're important to us. There are problems. So I get that. That's an important issue. But it's about, hey, we're all going to be affected by stress and anxiety, which can then lead to, you know, burnout and disengagement. Oh, yeah. How do we protect ourselves? You also talk about physical spaces in your in your yeah. work and, and physical yeah. zones or spaces. Yeah. We've talked about routines and establishing a good starting routine. And, and just a side note on that, I was just actually reading an article on this with speakers, for instance, and what we do and getting to talk to audiences. You know, the first 10, 15 minutes of my talks are typically always the same because it's me connecting with the audience and I know it works. So I, I follow that ritual and then I can get into it. My, my day starts the same way. The, the rest of the day, you know, I plan for most eventualities, but it doesn't always go that way. Mm-hmm. And so ritual is important. Talk about the zones a little bit. What did you mean by yeah. that? You know, when we were locked down, we were in our home offices. Majority of us were in our home offices. You know, some people had the luxury and the ability to like do a major facelift in their home office, right? But it's, it's not actually necessary. If you want to recharge your workspace, you can do three things and play to the senses. You can change what you look at, mm. you can change what you smell, and you can change what you hear. So I recommend soft music, yep. getting a diffuser with some type of essential oil going through the air, and then having a photo or an image that you like to look at behind your computer that just makes you smile. So play to your senses and that can really refresh your workspace. No, and I think the more senses you employ, the better the experience. Starbucks made that one famous. They take sight. You walk into Starbucks, the lighting's incandescent. I'm in an environment now where it's incandescent lighting. I like it. You look good in the lighting, right? It's not harsh. Try and make it smell good and taste good. If you know there's things I can eat that are nourishing and good for the brain, not junk food. So you got taste and then feel. It feels good. It feels comfortable. And yeah. sound, of course, with yeah. good music. So those make good sense as well. So the other thing, you know, hanging with your friends, you know, Facebook and social media and, and FaceTime and Zoom has all made that possible to connect. Yeah. And that's how we did connect or hang with your dog i think you have a jack yeah. russell don't you have a jack and you were picking up a new one i got three three got you were getting russell. a puppy the last time we i checked in and <laughs> some of you I, got a, I, I, have a, I have a corgi that's about a year old and two jack russells so i have three. Oh, i like them better than people most of the time 
<laughs> and most of the time, they're they're always happy to see you. And actually, you know what? That's a good way that you could forget to feed them all day, and you come home at the end of the day, and it's like, hey, Michelle, it's okay. We're hungry, but you know what? It's not about us. It's about you. And, <laughs> And you're, we're, you know, a cat. Now, don't go sending me hate emails. But a cat looks yeah. at you and goes, you know, where Whatever. the heck have you been? And you got this little <laughs> attitude, right? And now I know there's some cats behave more like dogs, but I, I, cats can be fun too. All right. Well, that makes makes good sense. So we got meditation. We got a mindfulness. Those are some tools. There's different types of mental illness, and all of us can be affected by more than one or at a time. So, for instance, you know, you have anxiety disorder. I've had anxiety. I know what that looks like. A panic attack. I know what that looks like. I, you know, we had one of my partners that worked with us in one of our businesses was, you know really really anxious and he suffered from that and it can be debilitating are there any are what are the most common ones that we see out in the in the you know the workplace are there certain ones that are just there yeah. most people tend to experience i mean look at uh, where we are coming out of the pandemic a lot of offices are reopening so there is a lot there's still some anxiety people are feeling about returning to work so anxiety and depression depression just because the residual effects of this whole experience has left us whether we've we've lost uh you know loved ones during this time we've lost routine we lost a lot of things we feel like have been removed from us so there is a lot of depression so i would say anxiety and depression very very common if you recognize that then you know that your people are putting their game face on right doing right, the best they exactly. can but they might be struggling so you just turn up the conversation conversation and give and highlight the resources and tools, there are some really wonderful ways to navigate anxiety. Like there's tapping, for example. Yeah, tapping is amazing. My wife started getting me going on that. Absolutely. Exactly. And and yeah, and have no and have no embarrassment in getting support. Yeah. Right? Like Get, get a clinician, get support, get tools for your toolbox to be able to deal with it. Does It's not only going to equal a prescription or don't fear the treatment. Be curious about what do I need to add to my toolbox to navigate this better myself? Because nowadays there's more empowerment going on when you become more curious and want to support yourself. And then the tapping tool, like say she, it almost seems like voodoo a little bit, you know, and yeah. you follow the different guided tapping exercises. But I think, I, I'm not sure how it works on a psychological level, but I think it's focused in association, but it's the affirmations that go along with the tapping that we've associated it. I, and you've got people who, you know, suffer from, you know, major uh, depressive disorders. You've got bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, which is, you know, obviously on the severe end of it. Post-traumatic stress disorder. This can be stressful yes, for people. Very and common. You can have yeah. PTSD, not just because you're a soldier, like, you know, 20 or 20. I just went down by one a day, you know, vetting suicide every day. And which is just shame. More people have died from that than actual combat. That says something right there. But we can have PTSD in our work from how we were raised as kids. So even in your environment, growing up with a mom that was bipolar, that can create oh, yeah. traumatic. There's triggers, yeah. right? So those, yeah, and, sure. and you can get triggered. Eating disorder, addiction substance abuse. I know I've been reading lots of the studies that show a lot of companies now are screening way in advance of the hiring process because a lot of people are failing or substance abuse tests prior yeah. to getting hired. So those are all issues, right? Those are distractions. People will use them as you probably teach to distract. Yeah. Are there any other tools that we haven't covered that are good, nice quick fixes or things to pay attention? I like to remind people, it seems so simplistic, but journaling and a gratitude mm a gratitude practice. Right. When we focus on the abundance in our life, our attention and our focus goes to that instead of focusing on what's missing, what you don't have, what you want, what your neighbor has, or what your sister has, like whatever. Like if you focus on this is what's good in my life right now, then that's where your attention is going. So never underestimate. There's a, a remarkable little app that I have on my phone. It's called the five minute journal. And every morning I can upload a photo and list three things I'm grateful for. And that keeps my immediate attention on the things 
that are good. So my mind can't go to what's wrong, what's broken, what's missing. So I adopt an attitude of gratitude every single day and you'll start your day off on, on a better trajectory. So companies and corporations, how do they start a program? So let's say you got a business who goes, yeah. hey, you know what? We need to do this. We need to make it top of where just kind of like other issues that are coming to awareness. What can a company do to, and we can maybe wrap up with these points here. What can yeah. they do as an organization to a create an environment where it's safe? And are there some just must do's and, and things that companies can do to use that as an attraction strategy as well? Absolutely. I think more and more of our younger generation is insisting they work for organizations that have these types of programs, culture in place. So the first thing I would say is recognize the prevalence, mental health imbalances and challenges that people have had in the face of this pandemic. 42% of the global workforce has experienced a decline. That's 42% of the global work. Wow. Don't ignore how prevalent it is. Your people are probably navigating to the best of their ability, but if you did a little bit more, it could make a big difference. So I say leverage Mental Health Awareness Month in the month of May. Talk about, use the platform of Mental Health Awareness Month to talk about what you're already doing. Mm. Because most organizations have an EAP, they have a benefits program. So start talking about what you offer. I'm going to give myself a shameless plug. Invite people like me to tell my TED story, to give a TED talk, to open up the conversation exactly. with third party. Third parties coming in and telling their story can open up a conversation where people don't feel vulnerable because it's a peer telling their story. And then see where that goes, right? There are, Then there right. are other things that Great you can advice. do. Think about resilience and how can you help bolster resilience for people and preserve mental well-being. There's a lot you can do, but start the conversation is the first thing. Well, we'll make links and booking links are on the show notes as well. So if people want to bring you into an organization, I know the reviews have been outstanding. And now you're working on some new projects. I know you've been working on a project with first responders around PTSD and then also some youth programs as well and, and what we can do to help our youth. Want to talk for a minute or two on each of those? Sure. So, um, so yeah. So I have a partner, a business partner who's a retired police officer and we're committed to helping elevate the conversation in first responders and empower them with resilience training, de-escalation training. That's super important. And yeah, then huge, huge issue. our kids, listen, our kids are struggling. How, how many kids are you? I mean, like you look at the data, kids are unfortunately the suicide rates among our kids are huge. So we have to do a better job modeling mental health hygiene sure. for our kids. Because if we can normalize it in the home, then they're less liable to ignore how they're doing. So we have to start normalizing the conversation. So yes, I have a children's program that I deliver in, in the schools, but the other piece too, our educators need support as well. So I have resilience for educators. So any way you slice it, kids have been affected, teachers have been affected, and I'm on a mission to just help wherever, wherever the energy is. Amazing. Well, and you talk about some of the remedies, you know, with going on going social where we can connect and connect with friends and check in on and see what they're doing. I know in some of your writings, or I was reading somewhere that you really strongly recommend if you haven't seen somebody on social media in a while, reach out. They're yes. probably an issue, right? Yes. And and what's interesting is it can also be part of the problem. I think there's a double-edged sword because a lot of our youth today, you know, they make a post and then they're watching how many likes am I getting? Ding, 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 ding. And it can also be a source of the anxiety and the issues that they're suffering. What can we do around the social media to help protect ourselves and our children. I think we have to monitor how much we're consuming. And I always recommend a digital detox. As much as it digital might feel detox. like excellent. Yeah. yeah. Like as much as it might feel like, oh right. my God, I'm not going to be connected. You know what? The world is going to keep moving. Yeah. So take a couple of days for yourself and do yourself a favor. Recognize how you feel before you turn off the apps. Give yourself a day or two or three days or four days and come back and recognize how you feel after not being so engaged. Great advice. 
Yeah. yeah, no, that's great advice. So, and it's, you know, I, I'm, as I've noticed the days start to accelerate and it's like, where does the time go? And the best way I know to slow time down to make it feel like it's the longest day ever is completely get off anything digital, no television, no phones, no thing. Just pick up a book and go read, go sit outside, go do whatever. And it will yeah. seem like a long day when you get busy yeah. and you're in the middle of a conversation that you really don't care about, but you feel like you got to contribute or whatever. So use it as a tool from a positive yeah. reinforcement point of view and, you know, share things that are positive, learn to protect yourself. So develop your routine. It's going to be huge. Um, I really like what you had to say around, you know, sense yourself, choose what you're going to consume, just like we yeah. would food. If you're on a diet of, you know, greasy things and things that are going to make you unhealthy, you're going to end up with an unhealthy body. If you're, you know, detoxing digitally and making sure you're inputting into your brain and your senses, the things that are going to be elevating and positive, it's going to have that kind of impact as well. Right. And I always say, remove the temptation from your phone. If you're doing a digital detox, remove Instagram, remove TikTok, remove Facebook, just remove them from your phone so that when you're Love opening it. your phone, there isn't the temptation. Yeah. And then just do an evaluation of how do I feel? How did I feel before? And now how did I feel after? Great. I always like to ask this of our guests. We all have unique abilities and superpowers. Some of us find them quicker and you found yours uh, on your path. If you were to have a superpower or a unique ability, something that you're just really amazing at what would you say it is you can brag here yeah listening for what is not spoken sure the noise that's behind the silence yes interesting can you give us an example of that you know in my resilience coaching i like to ask questions but then you get the answers but then also get the answer behind the answer that is sure. spoken or the body so, language, or they absolutely. they say one, the mouth says one thing, but the body says something else. You see the emotion, you see the face, you see the eyes. So yeah. it's really Excellent. being tuned in. Yeah. Great superpower. Now uh, we all have, because, you know, people see us in our most positive life. We also have our own kryptonite. We also have our own yeah. Achilles heels, right? Yeah. What, what's yours? Can you share with you what's your, for me, it's detail. I was talking about it's detail. I have someone to help me with the detail and, or, you know, chasing shiny objects sometimes. But yeah. so I have to keep focused. It's all about the focus. Yeah. What would you say your Achilles heel is or the thing that is a challenge for you that you have to keep working on? Saying yes, always wanting to extend myself to my own detriment. Like I have to be mindful if I can't do it the way I want to do it. I have to, I have to say not now or just step away. I can relate to that, but I can certainly say thank you for saying yes to this um, conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. Most enlightening, Miss Michelle. So thank you so much. And we appreciate You're your welcome. work that you on the subject. We'll, uh, for our listeners, we'll put all the links and your contact information in the show notes, and we'll make sure we have that ready to go. I'd uh, love to have you back. And when there's issues, I know there's so much more we can talk about. You've been really, really generous with this, and it's an issue that we all deal with, but it all starts with starting the conversation and creating a safe place where we can actually talk about these things. So, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It's Michelle Dickinson and your company's Trifecta Mental Health, and we'll have all your contact information again for the episode. They can find that in the show notes. So thanks, Michelle. Thank thanks for joining us. Thank we'll look, look forward to seeing you again. Awesome. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. Goodbye.